Good evening, everybody, and welcome back to the Haunted Collection with your host, writer, paranormal investigator, and haunted collector, Kevin Kane. Back with more ghostly tales. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Creepy Tales and Ghostly Shenanigans. Before I get started, as always, I want to invite you to MyHauntedDolls.com, my home website. There you can shop in my store and purchase your autographed copy of any one of my books today. You'll find stories of ghostly tales or books of ghostly tales, (laughs) books about my haunted items, supernatural novels, and even a couple of non-fiction southern and military books out there. So there's something for everyone out there. Go out and check it out today, or tonight, depending on what time of day it is where you are. And while you're at it, follow the link to my YouTube channel, where you can watch my videos at My Haunted Dolls. You can see videos that have been captured in EVPs and spirit box sessions, and even a few stories about some of the items and dolls in my collection. You can also tune into Abnormal Alabama every Tuesday night where we do a live show from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Central Time. We discuss all sorts of strange things, not only in Alabama, but around the world and the country here in the USA. Cryptids, UFOs, ghosts, anything supernatural or just plain abnormal. So be sure to check that out, too. For this episode, I want to share, since it's almost October and Halloween season... A wonderful ghostly tale right here in my home state of Alabama. It comes from the lower part of Alabama in Selma, which lies not too far from the capital, Montgomery. Selma's a beautiful city. It has some civil rights history, but it's also home to several very quaint ghost stories. And tonight's story is just one of them. It takes place in a beautiful antebellum mansion that is still open today for tours, so even you can go visit there and perhaps experience the ghost. Tonight's story is the tale of the ruined banker of Selma. One afternoon, not long ago, a guide was showing a group of tourists through Selma's Sturdivant Hall. The visitors had been given a brief history of the mansion, from the time of its construction in 1852, and after admiring graceful proportions of the downstairs parlors, they were guided to an upstairs bedroom. It was here in the quiet of this corner room that the guide, while describing the rope-laced trundle bed and other furnishings, suddenly stopped in mid-sentence. 
The guests noticed that she had become very pale, and one of the men in the group started to help her to a chair. But before he reached her, she took a deep breath and continued her interrupted story. After the tour was over and the visitors had gone, the guide hurried to her friend who was keeping the guest register. He's here again, she exclaimed. He brushed against me in the upstairs bedroom. I never felt anything quite like it. His touch. His touch was clammy and frightening. And just last week, she continued, he was in the downstairs parlor. I'll never forget that sudden rush of cold air that I felt. It seems he always comes when there are groups of tourists here. I can't decide whether he dislikes having strangers in his home or whether he wants to remind me to tell the people his remarkable success story and what a fine person he was. Whatever the reason, I know John Parkman's ghost is right here in Sturdivant Hall. John McGee Parkman lived in the White Column Mansion, now known as Sturdivant Hall, for only three years, from 1864 to 1866. But they were three of the happiest years of his life. At the age of 29, Parkman was president of the First National Bank of Selma, an institution with a capital of $100,000 at the time. He had a charming wife and two beautiful little daughters, Emily Norris Parkman and Maria Hunter Parkman. He occupied a place of esteem in the social and business life of Selma, and his home was one of the most splendid, the finest in the entire Black Belt region. Life was good. Then, with a suddenness that shocked the entire community, John Parkman's career ended in disgrace. The youthful bank president was the victim of the same error of judgment that ruined older and more experienced businessmen during the post-war period. That's the Civil War, in case you don't know. He speculated in cotton. Soon after, he had invested large sums of the bank's money in cotton, the price of the fiber dropped from 30 and 35 cents to 15 and 18 cents per pound, and Parkman's bank lacked the funds to cover the losses. Because federal money was deposited in the First National Bank, General Wager Swain, commanding officer of the United States troops in the Selma district, moved in quickly, closed the bank, 
and placed Parkman under arrest. Parkman was taken under guard to Cahaba and confined in Castle Morgan, the prison which had only a short time before been used by the Confederate government for the incarceration of Yankee prisoners. Up to this point, the facts about Parkman's life are clear, but there are confusing and conflicting reports regarding what happened after his imprisonment, particularly what happened following his escape from the stockade at Cahaba. According to one story, friends in Selma, men who believed that Parkman's poor judgment did not merit such severe punishment, arranged for his escape from Castle Morgan. They first bribed the warden of the prison to cooperate with them in carrying out the escape plan. Then they arranged for a steamer to be waiting at the Cahaba Wharf, some fifty yards down the bluff from the prison, to pick Parkman up. The scheme called for a group of musicians dressed in lovely costumes to march up and down in front of the stockade to divert the guards while Parkman climbed over the rear wall of the enclosure and then escaped by running down the bluff to the waiting boat. Every detail of the planned prison break seemed perfect. The costume musicians were putting on a splendid show at the prison entrance, dancing and playing music. The warden had left Parkman's cell unlocked, and the boat was waiting. But someone saw Parkman as he was climbing over the wall and gave the alarm. Several shots were fired. Some witnesses said Parkman was shot as he dived into the river. Others said he was so frightened by the shots that he dived under the boat and was killed by the big paddle wheel. Still others contended that he made good his escape. There was even disagreement about who fired at Parkman. One report was that his so-called friends shot him to make certain that Parkman would never divulge information which would have linked them with the bank scandal. These friends, one story relates, claimed his body in secret and, hidden by the thick shrubbery, buried it at night near a scuppernog arbor at the rear of Sturdivant Hall. Another more romantic but less plausible story says that the young man's body was swept by the current down the Alabama River and that it finally lodged in the low limbs of a willow tree. It was the same tree, this story states, whose limbs had broken the window in their stateroom when Parkman was bringing his bride up the river from Mobile to Selma aboard a luxury river steamer. 
If there are questions concerning Parkman's death, there is little question regarding the return of his ghost to his beloved Sturdivant Hall. Students of the supernatural say the ghost came back to try to clear Parkman's name of the blemish cast on it by his handling of the bank's funds, and perhaps their theory is right. He did not return to Sturdivant Hall immediately after his death. In fact, it was not until after his home had been sold to Emil Gilman, about three years after the Castle Morgan episode, that Parkman's ghost first visited the premises. The property for which Parkman had paid $65,000 when he purchased it in February 1864 brought only $12,000 when it was sold to Gilman, and the transaction left Parkman's family destitute. Servants in the home, many of whom had been employed by Parkman, were the first to be aware that his spirit had returned. They refused to walk through the back lot near the carriage house after dark, and even during the daytime, they avoided the shadowy area with its thick growth of fig trees and scuppernog vines. Mr. Parkman's there, they would answer when asked why they skirted around the back lot. He's come back. He's walking. Three or four of them stoutly declared that they had seen Parkman's ghost walking about in the orchard. Others were equally firm in their assertions that they had seen him on the side portico leaning against the iron grill work railing. And still others told of having seen him quite distinctly gazing out from the cupola atop the house. The cupola is a single small room structure that sits on top of the house where oftentimes plantation owners would go to look out through the windows over their property or watch their slaves working. Often Parkman was known in life to sit in that cupola and look out over his lovely property. And they say in his death he still continued his faithful vigil All of the servants who talked of having seen Parkman affirmed their belief that he was buried near the Scuppernog Arbor and that his restless spirit roamed from that grave. Even when they were told that Parkman was properly interred in the family lot in Live Oak Cemetery, they kept insisting, Mr. Parkman is right here. He's buried under the fig tree by the arbor. And he's troubled and restless. Mighty restless. Oh, he's walking. His ghost is walking. It must indeed be the restless, troubled ghost of John Parkman that wanders through the spacious rooms and around the grounds of the home he loved, appearing only when crowds of people are present. 
Is he objecting to the intrusion of these strangers into his home? Is he trying to play again the role of gracious host to a gathering of wonderful guests? Or is he seeking a defender, someone who will clear him of the stigma that has marred his good name? There are other tales that Parkman's ghost is not the only one to roam the halls and rooms of Sturdivant Hall. You see, Mr. Parkman's two daughters, some years after his death, also passed away from, from different illnesses, each one at different times, but not too far apart. It is said that their ghosts, in little girl form, have been witnessed inside the home, playing in their old nursery. If you go there today, the nursery still has some of the dolls that the Parkman girls played with, some antique dolls, and some a little more vintage. Many people who have gone into that room have said they've felt someone watching them. Some have said when they've passed by the door, they've caught a glimpse of a little girl or maybe two girls sitting in the room playing. But when said witness steps back into the door to look, the tiny figures have vanished. Some of the tourists who like to stay around outside after the tours and stroll through the old gardens, sometimes when they glance up toward the windows, they claim to see two small faces peering out from the upstairs windows, the faces of the Parkman girls watching them with interest. But then just as quickly, the faces vanish. Some say the girls return to the home they once knew and loved and played in as children, and that also they are there to accompany their father as his spirit still walks the stairs and watches the rooms in the cupola. I myself have been inside the Sturdivant Hall at least on three occasions. Twice I've been in the children's nursery and felt a presence there. There's one particular doll that on one of my visits I was allowed to hold. It is said to be one of the dolls that the Parkman children owned. And when I held it, I felt like a presence was there right next to me yearning for her doll so that she could once again play with it. But the most outstanding experience I had was my very first visit. I was on my own and there was not a group there. The tour went quite uneventful as we walked around the house and saw all the rooms, my tour guide filling me with all sorts of wonderful information and confirming the history and the stories behind John Parkman and his family. She also confirmed some of the ghostly activity they had witnessed there, like doors opening and closing on their own. Sometimes when they were downstairs, they would hear footsteps, sometimes that of an adult, and sometimes that of children, walking up and down the hallways upstairs when no one, in fact, was up there. 
Upon investigating, they would never find any sign of anyone in that hall or those rooms. I went outside and began to take pictures around the house and the garden area. At one time, as I was looking at the beautiful brick pond that they have in the garden area, with my back toward the house, I suddenly felt icy fingers going up the back of my neck, as if someone or something were watching me. I turned to look and looked up toward the window just in time to see a curtain moving back into place. I thought perhaps it might have just been one of the tour guides. I didn't want to jump to conclusions. So I continued my little tour around the house. When I got to the front, I stood near the the sidewalk out front of the house. And facing the house, I took a picture of the beautiful large front veranda with the large columns there that go up and down in front of the front door. There are two windows on either side of that door where the parlors are, the gentleman and the ladies' parlor. I did not see anything out of the ordinary. It was after I returned home a few days later as I was downloading the photos from my digital camera that I noticed it. In one of the front downstairs windows where the curtains were pulled back, I could see the shapes of three figures standing in the window. One was that of a tall man wearing a period suit with even the ruffled collar up front. And on either side of him were two small girls. You could see their eyes and their mouths and one was so detailed you could see the little shawl wrapped around her shoulders. I knew at the time there were no tourists in that house and there was only one tour guide, an older woman who was in the back of the house at the time. None of these figures were her. You could see the man's hair swept back, combed neatly like that of a gentleman from the mid-1800s, and their attire looked just like that of the same period. There is no doubt in my mind that I captured a photo of all three of the Sturdivant Hall spirits, Mr. Parkman and his two daughters. I quickly mailed a copy of that photo to Sturdivant Hall and received a letter back thanking me for providing them just one more piece of evidence that they could tell all of their tourists about when they visit. That happened in 2003, and I've been back a couple of times since. I've not captured any evidence in my photos and on my later visits, but I do still feel the presence of those little spirits watching me, and that of Parkman, standing back and just watching as his welcome guests tour his home and hear his story. None of us believe he was guilty. I know I don't. I think he knows that, and I think he appreciates it. I feel it in my bones, and I know that whenever I visit there, I am a welcome guest. You too can visit the Sturdivant Hall. I know it's open at least from Tuesday through Saturday from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. 
Central Time. Be sure to call ahead and let them know you'd like a tour just to make sure someone's there, but there usually is. And check out the gift shop on your way out. You can find a nice little item to take home with you. But please don't visit without at least saying hello to Parkman and his little daughters. Hope you enjoyed my little tale of one of our more prominent spirits here in the state of Alabama. We've got many more, and I hope to share more of them with you in the next few weeks as we get closer to Halloween. It's going to be a great Halloween this year. I can feel it, and I hope you enjoy it and have a happy one, too. Until then, please don't stop enjoying these wonderful tales that are shared Perhaps your hometown or state has its own ghost stories that you enjoy. Please be sure to continue passing those on to the next generation so that they stay alive. Until then, I'm Kevin Kane. This has been The Haunted Collection. And have a happy haunting. (laughs) 